so much for allowing us to come back here. Must not have been too bad last time. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, know that uh, we're your people. This is your time, and it's your word. So we pray that uh, you, uh, through the ministry of your spirit, would cause your truth to be spoken and received, and that those that are here would hear what you want them to hear, regardless of what I might say. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's difficult to uh, bring a message and not consider that there could be somebody here that uh, wouldn't understand because they don't know the word yet. Uh, and uh, so if you'll bear with me just a moment before we get started. Uh, if you, if there's anyone here who is not absolutely certain that if you died at this moment, be received um, by the Lord in heaven as his son or daughter. Um, if you don't know what you would say to the question, if God were to pose it to you, why should I let you into heaven? Uh, it might be because you don't understand you're a sinner. We're all sinners, not just you. Uh, or you may not understand the seriousness of sin. I read um, a particular book I read a long time ago now that God takes all sin seriously. That God um, is by his nature has to judge sin. Uh, and the reason he takes it all you know, so seriously is if you can imagine a perfectly straight line, uh, that's holiness. God's holiness, perfection. And that any deviation from that line creates a tangent, and it's going to go down farther and farther and farther. So sin has to be judged because holiness is the only acceptable thing. It's perfection or it's sin. So even if you have not committed some grievous thing against another person, uh, you're still a sinner. And the only way to wind up in heaven is by someone paying for that sin and you can't pay the price. I can't pay the price for you because I'm a sinner too. That's why Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived amongst us a perfect human life even though he was perfectly God too. And he got nailed to a cross and all of the sin of mankind, your little sins, and all the big sins got put on the Lord Jesus. And he paid for them completely, utterly. Nothing left to pay for. If you reject that, you'll go to hell. Not to pay for your sin, because Jesus already paid for it. You go to hell because you didn't receive him as your Lord and Savior. That's what it says in John 3, 16 through 18. It doesn't talk about sin. It talks about whether you believe in the Lord or not. not hard to do that. You believe, so if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you belong to the Lord after that. So if you need a little help with that, Betty or I or most of the people here would be more than willing 
to help you with that. And the reason I said all that uh, was to say this. Uh, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40 because we're going to talk to Christians. Uh, and if you're not a Christian, this doesn't really apply to you directly. You can, because you can become one right away. You know, inmates uh, are often very discouraged. There are tears of anger and sorrow and regret, frustration, there are arguments, there's fights, confrontations with deputies that sometimes erupt into fights. The inmates always lose. Um, attempts at suicide are common, and all too often they succeed. Uh, suicide whether it's inside the jail or outside the jail, is usually an effort to stop the pain in that person's life. And they think suicide will do that. Um, because that pain is great. Well, you cannot go that far to trying to deal with the problem, but you can still be in pain, great pain, even as a Christian. I don't think that's a newsflash to anybody that you can have uh, tremendous heartache and mental anguish. As far as people considering those that are incarcerated when they face these things, um, usually there's not a whole lot of sympathy. You know, often bad news overwhelms inmates like a dump truck coming up and dumping a load of dirt on top of them. It is, if you, if you haven't been incarcerated, it's hard to understand the pressure that the person's under. Whether they did the crime or not, it's not the issue. The issue is what happens to the human spirit when you lock that person up. God doesn't say to do that. He acknowledges prisons. He doesn't say to build them. Um, children go missing or get sick. Relatives die. <coughs> Children start doing poorly in school. The same things that can happen to us out here happen to the inmates, except they're virtually helpless to do anything about it. Uh, and indeed, sometimes even cause this, which adds to the pressure. And the thought from those who are not, I'm not accusing you folks, but very common thought of those who are not incarcerated and something voiced by certain deputies when they're not thinking well about who they're dealing with, is you should have thought about that before you got arrested. And that's true. It's just not the best position to take when you're trying to help somebody, or if they're already down there, it's like kicking them on down the stairs. Surely they thought of that themselves. I've heard them confess that over and over. I should have never done this or that, because now here I am, and now my mother is ill, and there's nobody to take care of her, and my father's ill, my children are sick, and they, they want moment by moment communication to find out what's going on with their family, and they can't have it. It's just not going to happen when they're in jail, and sometimes it has to be by mail, because the family nor the inmate can afford phone calls. So the pressure builds. 
a lot of people that are facing that inside are Christians. But they haven't been walking with the Lord. And so they find themselves in that same situation. Uh, what about you? Uh, not that you're in jail, but um, do you grow weary? Do you grow tired? Do you feel helpless? Faced with some of the difficulty in life. The questions and feelings that come with that can reveal both our physical as well as our spiritual state. And that's what I think is addressed in this passage we're about to read. My hope is that we'll leave here encouraged that our God is not only sovereign, but he's also aware of each one of us, and not only aware but also involved in a loving, compassionate, willing, and able way to guide our lives. So in Isaiah 40, let's start at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my Lord? Let's stop there. I don't know how true it is of any of us in this room, but I know it is quite common for us to have a, a frame of mind, and you'll hear it when prayers go up, particularly for particular certain needs, that if the prayer, uh, if the result of the prayer is whatever it is we want to have happen happens, will say God answered prayer. He always answers prayer. But he doesn't always answer with a yes. He's never going to say yes to something that is not for his own glory and for our best good. Now we would think that healing from a terrible disease would be our best good. We would think relief from pain would be our best good. We would think as, as parents or grandparents that the that seeing our children, our grandchildren following the Lord instead of the world, the flesh, and the devil, as some of them do, would be for the best good. Uh, but we don't have the mind of God in the thing. He tells us that, doesn't he? That his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And it's not that what we want is wrong, it perhaps the timing is wrong, or the solution is wrong. That we're, you know, if we took care of that, there's a lot of other things that would not be taking place. Maybe in the life of the individual who's suffering, whether it's ourselves or someone else, or maybe in the lives of those around that person, because we don't stand alone, we affect others. <laughs> And if we accept that God is sovereign and we allow him to minister to us in the midst of whatever it is, whether it's our own direct suffering or suffering that we're enduring because of a loved one or, or someone else, there's all kinds of positive things that can come out of that. There's a multitude of stories around, true stories, of how people endured through hardship. I just heard a movie's going to come out in the next, I don't know, soon, 
about a young man who wound up had a sinus infection that kills most people, didn't kill him, but it blinded him. Now he was already a teenager. And when it became, the report came in that his sight was gone and was not going to come back. Parents, of course, were concerned and asked about how you know he would be handling this. And he said he didn't he didn't want it to stop him from doing whatever God wanted him to do. Uh, we look at that as courageous, and it was courageous. I understand the movie is about how he rejoined the football team and played, completely blind. Well, that'd be a challenge. Mm -hmm. Fan of football, but I'm a fan of a young Christian who wants God's best for their life, no matter what the circumstances, and wants to get the most out of whatever, wherever they find themselves in life at that point, and let God build the character of Christ in them, be a, a testimony to others, and be able to worship God in, in spirit and in truth from their heart, no matter what their circumstances are. sound, we can feel like that. You know, why do you say, oh, Jacob, oh, I'm sorry, got ahead of it there. Let's go on to verse 27. Why do you say, oh, Jacob, no, I did read that. Sorry. I'll, I'll find my place here. <laughs> um, when the cares of the world begin to pile up, we find ourselves at that frame of mind that way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my Lord. But God says no sometimes for his own purposes. He says wait sometimes for his own purposes. Sometimes we'll see uh, what we consider deliverance because of what we want uh, at some future time uh, because God's timing is right not because he was slow to answer. Jonah had some negative thoughts about his life. Uh, Jonah 4.3, it says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you know Jonah's attitude wasn't that good. He's all depressed over a whole city repenting turning to the Lord. But he was so bitter toward them, and apparently it was a pretty wicked place, uh, that he didn't want any part of turning them to the Lord. And he was used that way anyway. And so now he's in the dumps. So much he wants God to take his life. So whether his motives were right or not, his condition was very difficult to the point of while he wasn't planning suicide, he's wanting God just to take him out of here. He can't handle it anymore. 2 Corinthians 1.8, the Apostle Paul wrote, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. They weren't asking. He wasn't asking for God to take their lives. He was feeling like, we can't endure this. It's going to kill us. 
that we can't handle this anymore. There's so much adversity. There's so much going wrong. Sick of heart, weak of body. And I believe that part of the reason those accounts and many others in Scripture are there are for our benefit to say, you know, you're not the only ones that feel like that. That I was God then, I am God now. That I can deal with this. Read the book of Timothy. And so often it's forgotten, I'm not saying you forgot it, but it's forgotten that you know, the, the why behind what's said in a lot of these books. First and second Timothy weren't written because Timothy was such a brave, dynamic young man. He was filled with fear and he was intimidated by the churches. And I, that's why he was told to be brave and be strong and don't, don't let them despise your youth. And all these things were said for a reason. Those weren't just nice things to say. He needed it. That's why it was written to him. Jeremiah is called what? The weeping prophet. He faced quite a lot of adversity. Total devotion to God and his ways brings great re reward, but it brings suffering too. Through suffering, if we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit, can come Christ-likeness. He's ministering to us and through us now, and he's preparing us for eternity. And he sees all that, even though we kind of get focused on those things we're having to deal with. That's not wrong. The Apostle Paul wasn't wrong to acknowledge what they were facing. Let's go on to verse 28. The response to that sorrowful cry. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Our God understands us. He made us. Uh, I, I know there are, there's at least one engineer in here. I think there may be more. These guys make things, or at least they understand how they're made. And if they were to, if the thing wasn't to work, um, they could take it apart, put it back together again, they could see what's wrong and make it work. Would you think that engineers are the only ones in the universe able to do that? God made us. Do you think he does not know what's wrong? Do you think he does not know how to solve the problem? And I'm not even talking about the physical problems we might have that he, we know, I think we know, that he can miraculously heal. But I'm talking about our attitude problems and our perception problems and our, our problems with really understanding as much as we're capable of, of his sovereignty in a thing. And what can bring glory to his holy name and how important that is. He doesn't grow bored with us. He doesn't grow tired with us. He is constantly there to work in us those things that are going to bring glory to his name, prepare us for eternity, and create in us a testimony to those around us and give us peace of heart and mind. It's not uncommon for an inmate to ask for prayer 
walking through the, the cells and one of them kind of nods or indicates he wants to talk. And we used to be able to talk through the bars, but most of the bars are gone now. There's only one jail left that has bars in it. And so we got to talk through the crack, <laughs> the door, little tiny crack. Uh, and uh, so he come up and he said, Chaplain, will you pray for me? So well, sure, I'll pray for you. What do you want to pray about? And sometimes I think, well, isn't it obvious? I'm locked up. <laughs> um, but often it's, uh, sometimes it's family matters, sometimes it's other things. Most commonly it's their case. They might have been there for years and never talked to me or anybody else about spiritual things, but now they're going to go to court. Now they're worried because they're going to go before the judge. Will you pray for me? What do you want to pray about? <laughs> Basically, they want to beat the case. They want to be, get out of that thing. And um, so we pray for them. Usually ask them to pray first. Sometimes they, they feel like they can. And so we'll pray. We'll pray that God will release them just as soon as God knows they're ready to be released. They often don't like that kind of prayer. Because <laughs> that might be 25 to life. <laughs> but... I've got to defer to the Lord. I can pray for the man, but I've got to defer to the Lord. I don't know what the will of the Lord is. I pray for truth to come out. One guy interrupted me and said, oh, that's enough. I don't think he wanted the truth to come out. <laughs> we have to have a right attitude toward the Lord. The Lord knows what's right, what's true, what's proper, and accept it and ask for his will, willing to receive it knowing we don't necessarily know what his will is. Kind of the way I've learned to pray for my own issues and my family. Is I quit, I tried to quit telling God what to do about it. You give God instructions, he's God, in case you didn't notice, you know, we could, this would really fix things if you just do this over here. It's almost like a guarantee that he's not going to do that. Because <laughs> uh, it's not my will, it's his. And typically, uh, my view is so narrow, I certainly don't know the future. I don't know the effect on others, or even on me, what should be affecting me, if he just takes the problem away. Would it liken to being in a university class? could even be high school or even junior high for all that goes. Get the assignment. Teacher hands it out. And you look at that and oh, that's hard. So you go up to the teacher, you go up to the professor and say, uh, this is really difficult. This is going to cause <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. Why don't you do it for me? Most teachers don't cooperate with that. Most professors <laughs> don't cooperate with that. Um, they say, well, you know, the idea here was for you to do the learning. I know this, but you don't. So how about you doing it? And when you mess it up, then we'll work on whatever you did to mess it up. Uh, well, God kind of treats us like that. We get into a problem. He doesn't necessarily bring the problem, but we have a problem in our lives. And we turn to him and say, God, uh, you take care of this one, would you? He says, okay, I'll take care of it the way I know is best. Wait a minute, how about taking care of it the way I want you to take care of it? Because you won't learn that way. You're not going to grow that way. There won't be enough testimony of my glory that way. You're not going to grow in faith that way. All the people that are going to be affected by seeing you follow me aren't going to be affected if we do it that way. So we're going to do it my way. And we're going to cause you to be a testimony 
my glory here on earth. And we're going to be preparing you for eternity. And you'll find out what that means when you get there. Okay. <laughs> As if I had a choice. I often think of the way God deals with us is like when we when we have a, a bruise or a sore muscle, you have to touch him to help him. You know, rub something into it or massage the muscle, and it hurts when you do that. You had a really sore back, and somebody first starts massaging it, it hurts. You know, it's almost like, oh, don't touch me. Holy Spirit is fully aware of exactly what needs to be dealt with in my life and knows the order in which it needs to be dealt with. It's one of the scariest verses in the Bible where God says he can set our sin in order before us. He said, don't bother, I don't want to know. Uh, he, he knows the end from the beginning. He knows exactly what needs to take place in my life. And so when I wind up with some kind of adversity or some kind of heartache, some kind of difficulty in my life, the Holy Spirit touches that spot because that gets my attention. And if I ask him what needs to change in me, what response should I have to this, if I'll pay attention, he'll tell me that. He'll reveal it through brother or sister saying something to me through reading his word. There's lots of ways he can reveal it, uh, what he wants me to work on uh, in, in that way. But it's not because he took the pain away. It's because I'm in pain that I'll pay attention. It hurts to touch him. But what he's doing is pointing out where the weakness is. I might need to forgive somebody. I might need to identify and repent of a sin in my life, even a sinful attitude. Uh, there's a uh, news report just from this week that the author John Grisham wound up in a lot of difficulty from the world, mostly, I guess. I don't know about Christians, but supposedly he's a believer. I don't know that read something somewhere they thought somebody thought he was because of the nature of the stuff he writes uh, but a friend of his got arrested uh, and got went to prison apparently because he was involved a friend uh, his computer was examined and he had uh, child pornography on it and he was lamenting that the guy went to prison over that not understanding why that was a crime he could understand the act being a crime not having it in the computer. And that was published, and half of the world came down on that guy's head. Well, here, I don't know whether he's a believer or not, but whether he is or he isn't, that's blindness, if you don't understand the problem with that. In fact, some of the responses were, I wonder if his computer should be examined. Good question. He doesn't see any problem with that. Uh, people are harmed Way. Little children are harmed in that way. There's nothing that touches that that's not wrong. So we need 
but he said he was sorry. But I love him. He said he wasn't thinking. And that's true. He surely wasn't thinking. But aren't we the same way, not about that particular subject, but when God shines his light of holiness and righteousness in a, on a sin in our lives, and it maybe wasn't even a willful thing, maybe it was something we learned as we were growing up, that this was okay, or we just didn't address it, whatever. We aren't thinking, because the Lord certainly would have revealed it in his word. So it may take some kind of trauma for us to pay attention. But it's a good thing to purge sin out of our lives, is it not? That's a positive thing. The process may be painful, but the result is good. Certainly, if I need to forgive someone else, I haven't done that. That's sinful. I need to do the forgiving as I've been forgiven. In his infinite love, he'll do uh, whatever he needs to do to help me become more like the Lord and to prepare us, prepare me for eternity. We may feel weak, but God can take care of that. We feel weak. Reminded of uh, very vividly to me of seeing Betty and maybe the interpreter head off down the corridor to interpret prison in the women's division. My, my wife is not a big person, and she's not physically strong. She is for her size, but her size is not great. Uh, so she wasn't going up against the enemy there in her own physical strength. She and the interpreter, the guard, would unlock those one of the big heavy wooden doors, and the two of them would go in there and they'd slam that door and lock it up, and there she would be, her and this um, young Russian girl, uh, in a room sometimes with up to 40 or 50 uh, women who were not happy campers. Some of them pretty strong, pretty aggressive. She went in there in the strength of the Lord. I think if I could have seen him, I would have been in there with her, could have seen him, would have seen the, the demons bailing out of those windows as soon as that door opened, they saw who was coming in. Not my little wife, but the Holy Spirit that dwells her. I heard of a man who was called to deal with a, a demon, demonic possession situation, uh, and Jim Logan. Some of you may have heard of him. But he went into this room, and before he was all the way in the room, the young man that had this demonic spirit said, we're not afraid of you, Logan. We're not afraid of you, Logan. And the young man wasn't part of the we're. Uh, and he said, well, I'm not here in my own strength. I'm here in the strength of Jesus Christ. And they said, we're afraid of him. <laughs> good reason to be. Greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. He works on us and he works on others through us. The Lord supplies the strength. We have ongoing heartaches in our own family. And 
the longer they endure, the more we bow before the Lord, bow before his sovereignty, bow before his ways, when we finally come to the conclusion, you know, for, for years, you think, well, we should say this, we should do that, we should do this other thing, we should say this. No, we should talk to the Lord about it, because you're not going to convince the person through argument or persuasion. They're too far down that road. It's like trying to talk a young couple out of getting married once they've committed to getting married. Talk about a tough thing to do. It's not going to happen. You might be able to prevent it, but you're not going to talk about it. And likely they're going to run off and do it anyway. Uh, so who do you do? Well, who do you turn to? You turn to the Lord. But we've seen God split up couples. We've seen a couple split up just recently. And we think it was of the Lord. Certainly, the direction we were praying, because we thought the Lord had put that on our hearts, that it shouldn't uh, that shouldn't be. Whether it's the girl or the guy, both neither one of them were ready for marriage. It saved them a lot of heartache. They just needed to stop their relationship. Man says to worry and fret, plan and scheme. Man says medicate your anxieties or look to the courts or the government for solutions. But God says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seemed right to a man, but the end, but its end, is the way of death. Isaiah 40, 30 says, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. 31 says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God had Moses say in uh, Deuteronomy 30, 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that you, both you and your descendants may live. What a challenge to the nation of Israel at the time. Same challenge to us. We can choose life by following God's ways or death by following our own. And what of the others around us? What of the example that we ought to be to others? Whether they're our immediate family or others. There's um, seems like it's no longer a shock, even if it's sad, heads of ministries compromising or having to resign uh, that not even new ministries, long-term ministries, and through compromise of their morals, they have to step down. Well, they were held up as an example by many for a long time. In fact, some held themselves up as examples. And at the time, they were good examples. That's why it is so terribly important for us to look to the Lord, not to men. 1 Peter 1, 6-9 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, 
that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our being, our mind, will, and emotions, our, our spiritual well-being is dependent on having that faith and trust in Him on a moment-by-moment basis. We can't think we've arrived at any plateau where we're not vulnerable to sin in our own lives or wrong thinking. There's not a person on the face of this earth that doesn't have at least some wrong thinking. And so that constant desire of God to reveal the things that are wrong in our thinking needs to be a, a conscious, prevalent effort in our lives. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we should endeavor to love one another, weep with those that weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. We need to speak the truth to one another in love, saying what's good and for necessary edification, it says. God cares about us, and he wants us to care about one another. And to trust that him and his ways are right. Whether we're getting what we want, there's nothing wrong with wanting relief from pain. There's nothing wrong with wanting healing from illness. That's not wrong. He tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace, right? We can bring anything to him. But we need to be equally prepared to receive his answer, even if it's not now. Even if it's, wait until I know the time is right. Even if it's, I'm going to heal through bringing this one home to me. Whatever his answer is, to guard against bitterness toward our God, which is the only bitterness a human really has when we think we're bitter toward another person. But truly, bitterness is toward God. We need to accept what he says. We need to be willing to follow his ways. Jesus Christ is good and perfect and true. He is, in fact, the truth. We, have, we can't just accept that. We have to meditate on it and let him teach us about that. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 John 3.5 says, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. You ever been around someone you really admired? They just like knew everything. You think it's like they knew everything, and you just are completely in awe of this person. And it's almost like, what do I even say? It's going to sound stupid to him. Um, what was that man? We had lunch with him in Northern Ireland. David Gooding. Anybody ever heard of David Gooding? How many people would like to talk about the Bible with me? <laughs> yeah. That's how I felt, so I put Betty next to me and I sat next to somebody else. <laughs> he was the most gracious, humble servant of the Lord, uh, she says. <laughs> so I met him, but I didn't have a conversation with him. <laughs> we know the Savior, do we not? We belong to him. You think he knows the word pretty well? We need to defer to him, but not be afraid of him. Uh, be willing to listen and learn. Because he cares so much. There is no sin in him. But it says he understands us. He's gentle with us. Caring. We can trust him. 1 Peter 2, 21-25 For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, when he suffered, did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He's the only begotten of the Father. He's full of grace and truth. He's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. He's our Savior and our Lord. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He loves children. The disciples tried to shoo him away. He said, oh no, oh no, you let them come, come to me. He lived among us and was persecuted because he spoke the truth. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted or tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We need to go to him. But we need to trust him enough to receive his righteous and holy, correct responses to our prayers. And watch for what the answer is once we bow down before him. Let's pray right now. Mm -hmm. 
Heavenly Father, we are so in awe of you. You're perfect in all of your ways. You rightly judge sin. And out of the great love with which you loved us, you sent Jesus to become your only begotten Son, to pay for our sin, so that we can have a high priest that understands us and can come to boldly share our hearts with, and he'll guide us through your will. Oh, how we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.